All right, you can take a seat, take your Bible, and go with me to Mark chapter 6. Um, as we look at, at, at what I think is really an interesting passage, um, Jesus returning to his hometown of Nazareth and encountering people that, that he had known his entire life, people who watched him grow up, and the, the, the reception that, that he receives among those who would have been most familiar with him. Um, it's, it's interesting as we, you know, we, we've looked at uh, several passages throughout the, the, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we've seen Jesus interacting with primarily Jews in, in what becomes his kind of home base in a town called Capernaum. We, we saw him cross the Sea of Galilee and go encounter uh, what was more than likely a Gentile culture, Gentile simply meaning non-Jewish, um, and, and the way that, that he was received or, or wasn't there when, when he cast out the, the demons, the, the legion of demons from, uh, from the man and, and was begged to leave their region, we're told. So he went back across the sea. Last week we, we looked at him um, encountering a, a, a Roman commander by the name of Jairus whose daughter was dying and then uh, healing the, the woman with an issue of blood. And, and, and so we've seen Jesus perform these great miracles, and no doubt these have trickled back to his hometown. And, and we've seen the way that he's been received. We've seen, we've seen him be rejected. And now for what really is only a couple of times throughout the Gospels, he, he returns home goes back to his hometown, and we see him, it's, it would seem, wanting to do some work in his hometown. Yet we're going to see their lack of belief in him. And so if you will, uh, turn with me to Mark chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 6 this morning. And let's stand as we read the word the Lord's given to us today. Mark chapter 6 says, He left there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom that has been given to him, and how are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? So they were offended by him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his, home, and in his household. He was not able to do a miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. He was going around the villages teaching. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Pray that you will uh, speak to us through your word, that you will show us the, the danger that we have, even as followers of Christ, of sometimes missing the point. May, may, we, may we never be so familiar with Christ that we grow comfortable. May we always be challenged by the message of the gospel. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. 
So, so our big idea for the morning is simply this. Sometimes those who should be closest to Jesus are in the most danger of missing him. Right? Sometimes those who should be closest to Jesus are in the most danger of missing him. Now, now, now let me explain that for, for just a second, because at first, they, what do you mean those, those who should be closest to him? Well, here we have Jesus' hometown. People who would have watched him grow up, who would have seen the, the way that he interacted with Mary and Joseph and his brothers and sisters. The Bible teaches that Jesus was sinless, so, so no doubt these people watched that. Maybe some of them have even heard Jesus' teachings. And yet, it's, it's, it's difficult for them to accept, to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, to be fair, we, we see that during Jesus' earthly ministry, uh, most of his brothers and sisters didn't believe in him either. I mean, and again, let's cut them a little bit of slack, right? I mean, if, you're, if your brother or sister came to you and said, hey, I think I'm the Messiah sent from God, you might have some questions, right? On top of that, if, 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 again, the Bible declares that Jesus is perfect, so you, you might imagine that Jesus' brothers and sisters really got tired of, of Mary looking at them and saying, why can't you just act more like Jesus? Hey, it took them some time to come around. Now, now we see that, that eventually uh, some of his brothers and sisters do come to faith in Christ. In fact, um, Jesus' brother James writes the New Testament letter that has his name on it. But, but I think the danger that's pointed out for us in this text is that we can grow up around Jesus. We can spend a lot of time around him without ever actually coming to know him. That's very, those are very different things, especially in, in this westernized, Americanized form of Christianity that we've created, where, where we still, even, even today, you'll still encounter people who, when you, when you begin to have a gospel conversation with them, you'll hear something to the effect of, well, yes, I'm a Christian. I mean, I was born in America. America's a Christian nation, right? So I'm a Christian. To which the answer is, uh, well, no. <laughs> That's not how it works. Well, well uh, my, my granddad was a preacher. If you've watched Hamilton, that didn't work out for Aaron Burr very well, did it? Just because his granddad was a, was a preacher. Okay? No, we, we, we can grow up around the things of God and completely miss the things of God. In fact, what we still see are... Young people, which I always thought that was an old person phrase, so I guess that shows where I am now, right? Young people, young people, settle down, young people, right? No. So what we see are, are, are teenagers who still, at an alarming rate, when they, when they graduate and go to college, leave the church, some of them never to return. In fact, from what we've seen statistically, most of them never to return. These are kids who grew up going to vacation Bible school, grew up in Sunday school, maybe grew up in youth group, and yet at some point walk away from their faith. They grew up around the things of God. But 
perhaps, at least from, from the evidence, from the fruit that we're seeing, maybe never came into a relationship with Christ. And so we're going to see how these people in Jesus' hometown, how, 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 how these, these people that were, were maybe closest to Jesus treated him. And I think this should raise some warning flags for us as, as followers of Christ um, to, to see some, some things that we are not immune to just because we've grown up in church. The first thing that we see is that some will ridicule Jesus. We see some people actually ridiculing him. He left there and came to his hometown, goes back home to Nazareth, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Okay, now, now let's, let's picture this. So Jesus is teaching in church on the Sabbath day, on the day of worship. This is probably the synagogue that he grew up in. What we know about Nazareth is there was a small place. So he's gone back to teach at his home church. And many who heard him were astonished, it says. Where did this man get these things? And they said, what is this wisdom that has been given to him? And how are these miracles performed by his hands? Um, now, that, that same word, astonished, was used back in chapter 1, verse 22, when, when the people said that Jesus taught as one who had authority and not like the scribes. But it's, it, it goes beyond simply being amazed. So, so there is an astonishment that's just like, wow, like what is this thing that we're hearing? And, and it might be easy to read that word and think they were just simply like amazed and in awe. And, and at first glance, maybe even proud of this hometown boy. Wow, can you believe that Jesus is teaching this way? But actually, it leans more toward skepticism and criticism. So, so more than just, uh, I can't believe he's teaching this way, to I can't believe he's teaching this way. Who does he think he is? And we see that in the beginning of chapter 3 where it says, isn't this, the car isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the, brother, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and aren't his sisters here with us? See, Jewish custom would have been to refer to a son by his father's name. So, so in this case, we would have expected in, in normal circumstances for them to call him Jesus, the son of Joseph, his, his earthly father. And here we see them calling him Jesus, isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Now there could be a couple of reasons for that. So, so the first is, is it's at least possible that, that he's referred to the son of Mary because his father Joseph has passed away. Scholars are mostly in agreement that at some point between the time Jesus is 12 and the time he begins his earthly ministry at age 30, Joseph has passed away because you never see him again. Um, so that's possible, but, but it seems more likely that this is a slight, this is a, this is a way for them to um, kind of jab at the rumors that Jesus was born illegitimately. So even here in his 30s, the circumstances of his birth still follow him. And more than him, they would still follow Mary. 
Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Remember, remember all those rumors about Mary. How, how dare he come back and start teaching us? Some will ridicule Jesus. And, and by the way, you're going to experience this exact same thing in the world today. You're still going to experience those who would ridicule Jesus and the things of God. Even, I've learned, among those who at one point grew up in the church, you, you will encounter people who walk away and, and rather than just simply becoming cold to the things of God, actually become hostile to the things of God. Secondly, we'll, we see that some people will actually rage against Jesus, and we see this at the end of chapter 3 or excuse me, at the end of verse 3, where it says, so they were offended by him. The way that he taught, the way that he called people to repentance, even the way that, that, that he claimed to have authority to supersede what the religious leaders were teaching, the way he would heal people on the Sabbath, it, would, it, it caused great offense. And as, as you may well know, when you start stepping on people's idols, things can go poorly very quickly. In this case, you're, you're talking to some Jews, especially good Jews, who thought they were made righteous with God by their ability to keep the law. And suddenly Jesus starts turning that upside down. And what we find out is that keeping the law was a very real idol to many people. They're offended by Jesus and by his teaching. And so verse 4, Jesus said, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. Again, we see that those who should be closest to Jesus are rejecting him. And really, we see this throughout the New Testament, right? I mean, sometimes Jesus just, like, causes people to be angry. And, and by the way, 2,000 years later, not much has changed in that regard. I mean, listen, you can have discussions about all kinds of stuff. I mean, I would even say you can have discussions about politics that will not get as heated as conversations can when you bring Jesus into the mix, Right? Why, why, do you, why do you live such a way? Why don't you, why don't you come out and drinking with us? Why don't, you, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Well, it's because I'm a follower of Jesus. How dare you, right? How dare you try to push your faith on me? I mean, you asked a question. <laughs> but you will, you will experience the same thing. In fact, we shouldn't be shocked by this. Jesus told us that, the, that this would happen. Matthew 10, 34-36, he said this, Don't assume that I came to bring, to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. To an extent, we see this in the life of Jesus where a couple of times that we've already looked at, 
Jesus' family comes and tries to stop him or at least just calm him down, right? Remember those passages that Jesus, hey, you're, you know, you're, this is all great and everything. You know, you're, you're healing people and, and that's all well and good. You're going around teaching, you know, you're making us really proud, but can you just tone it down a little bit? Do you have to be so abrasive? Do, do, can't you sugarcoat it just a little bit, and, right? And, but by the way, the gospel still does this in, in households. If you've known anyone who came to faith in Christ as a teenager, maybe as an adult, I, I remember some of the hardest conversations I had with students when I was in youth ministry was when you had a student who, who would come to faith in Christ and, and begin to understand what it means to follow Jesus but had no family support. And in fact, when they went home, would, would be ridiculed by their parents. Seen it in some of the young men that I've, I've had a, conversations with since we've been here who in the Air Force have seen a renewal of their faith and family and friends just don't understand that at all. Have no framework to understand what this whole following Jesus means and, and you know what? You know, it's all good if you want to go to church and, that, and that's fine, but, but why do you have to be so fanatical about Jesus? And some, we'll see even here in Jesus' hometown, begin to rage against him. They're offended by him. But understand this. And, and this, this, this part, so, so, so far we've seen people rejecting Jesus outright, right? Like refusing to believe, even those who, who've grown up around him. And as I said, just because you've grown up in church does not mean that you're immune from rejecting Jesus. Just because you've grown up in church does not mean that you're a believer any more than going to McDonald's every day turns you into a Big Mac. Now, I've said before, if you eat at McDonald's often enough, you might begin to look like a Big Mac, okay? And, and, and what I mean by that is if, if you come to church long enough, you can, you can begin to look the part. You can pick up on the language. You can pick up on the way we do things. And you can begin to act like a believer. You can begin to look like a believer without ever having the heart change. We... But for believers, for those who really have trusted in Jesus, this last point is very applicable to our lives as well. And that is that rejecting Jesus has repercussions. What what do you you mean rejecting Jesus? I'm a follower of Christ. I wouldn't reject him. But but look look what happens here. Verse 5, He was not able to do a miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. He was going around the village's teaching. See, the longer I've been a follower of Christ and the more I've interacted with other followers of Christ, you know what I've learned? Is that as believers, we can struggle with unbelief as well. And what's the result of of the unbelief in Jesus' hometown? Well, the result here is that it said he was not able to do a miracle there. Now, 
let, let me be real clear. Their unbelief did not affect the power of Jesus in any way. So, so when you read, he was not able to do a miracle. Don't, don't think that his power to do, uh, to perform any kind of miracle was hindered by their unbelief. What we see rather is that, I, th- I think to an extent you could say his willingness to perform miracles was hindered. Or rather, m- maybe, maybe a better way to say that is because of their unbelief, their ability to experience the work of God was hindered. This is, this is what we mean when we talk about quenching the Holy Spirit. It's not that the Holy Spirit's uh, somehow subservient to your, to, to your faith. He's subservient to your submission. No, God, God has power to do whatever, whenever, with whomever, and Period. But what we see is that when we are not submitted to the work of the Holy Spirit, we miss out on what God might be wanting to do. Now, by, by the way, this is experiencing God 101, okay? So, so if you weren't in, in our Wednesday night study, let me fill you in in about two minutes what, what we talked about. Um, because it's exactly this right here. In the video last Wednesday night, Henry Blackaby talked about how many people will ask the question, what is God's will for my life? I was in youth ministry, dealing with those with teenagers all the time. That usually revolves something around uh, which college am I supposed to to go to, what uh, job am I supposed to have, and who am I supposed to marry? Those are the big three, right? If If God would just show me his will for my life. The Blackabees will explain that's really the, the wrong question because the, the question is not, what is God's will for my life? The question is, what is God's will? Period. And in, in that context, God's will is this. And, and I, would, I would extend this out and I would say God's will for your life and every other person is the exact same, and that's this, that you would know God and that you would make him known. And the rest is just details. Because if, if, if I know that that's God's will, period, then I can pursue that using the gifts and the talents and the abilities that he's given to me, right? So if that's working in the Air Force, if that's working in, in, uh, in construction, if that's working in an office, if I know that God's will is that I would know him and make him known, that that works across cultures. That works across um, context. That works across neighborhoods. Well, then who am I supposed to marry? Someone else who's, who understands that God's will is to know him and to make him known. What college am I supposed to go to? Some college where you can know God and make him known. And ideally not bankrupt you for 25 years. I mean, that, that, that's, that's helpful too, right? But what, what the people missed out on was seeing God at work and joining him in that work. It wasn't that Jesus wasn't at work, right? Look at the, look at the last of 
of verse 6, and he was going around the villages teaching. He's still at work. But because they rejected him, they missed being a part of what he was doing. Okay, so what do we do with all this? So, so we, we, should, we need to know God. We need to make him known. Um, we, we've seen sometimes people will ridicule Jesus. Sometimes people will rage against him. We've seen the rejecting him has, has repercussions. I, I pulled this quote from one of the study Bibles that, that I read this week, and I thought it was really good. It's not on the screen. Just, just, just listen to what this says. From the, uh, this is from the ESV Gospel Transformation Study Bible. It says, just as Jesus is opposed by demonic darkness and human enemies, his followers will also be opposed by these same forces. Disciples of Christ should not blame God for the painful consequences of their own foolish decisions and actions. Okay, did you get that? Oh Lord, why would you let me get a speeding ticket? Don't speed, right? So we shouldn't blame, blame God for consequences of our actions, but they do need to remember when they are opposed merely because of their obedience to Jesus that Jesus himself suffered rejection. We follow a crucified Savior who should... Uh, we who follow a crucified Savior should not be surprised by the cruciform life that is thrust upon us. Cruciform life simply means a life that mirrors Jesus' crucifixion. The, the, the way of a Christian is a way of suffering. And through it all, we walk with one who is gentle and lowly in heart. I love this. We have a mighty friend. So we see people reject Jesus. And what you can experience as a follower of Christ is, is rejection. Accept that. Not everyone's going to want to be buddies with you when you say, I'm a follower of Jesus. We see people rage against Jesus, who are offended by him. There, there might be some people in your life who are just flat out offended by the very fact that you're a Christian. As you experience that, you get to identify with something of what Jesus experienced. But understand this. Don't, don't miss this. S suffering ridicule, suffering rage, e even as, as Jesus experienced being rejected is always worth it for the sake of Christ. Always. Now, I would say this. As followers of Christ, let's live in such a way that people ridicule us and rage against us and reject us for the sake of Christ and not just because we're dumb, okay? If I can say it, is that too strong? Let me just make sure that it's because for the sake of Christ. But this is what Jesus told us. Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time, houses, brothers, and sisters, mothers, and children, and fields with persecutions, 
and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Man, listen, you want to talk about knowing Jesus and making him known? It's, it's found right here. It's found in major ways when we're called to sacrifice hard things, not, not, not easy things. Not, not talking about canceling Netflix for, for the sake of Christ. I'm talking about like moving, leaving house, brother, sisters, mother, father, children for the sake of the gospel. We feel God's calling us to do this. I feel, feel God's calling us to leave the family business and go, go serve somewhere else. will not be repaid a hundred times more. So as we wrap up, here are the questions. First of all, have, have you come to know Christ? Not, not did you grow up in church, not have you been around the things of God your whole life, but do you know Christ? If not, the... That's step one today, is to, to come to know Christ. Second question is, if, if you would say yes to the first, how have you rejected Jesus in, in your life? How, how have you had a lack of faith in your life? Like, folks in Jesus' hometown did. When have you missed out on the experience of knowing Christ and making him known because of a lack of faith? Now, now real, real quick, not, not heaping a judgment or, or guilt on you, because we've all been there, right? I mean, I think every person I've ever known who's a believer can look at some point and say, I think God was really at work here, but I was too stubborn to, to, to get over myself and, and join in that. And the follow-up question to that is, what needs to change in my life so that that's not a reality? When I see God at work, I can join him in that. But by the way, if you're not even able, if for some reason you're not able to join us on Wednesday nights, I would still encourage you, buy, buy the book, Experiencing God, walk through it. Maybe get another, another friend and, and walk through it, talk through, the, talk through the sessions each week. You, you, you will be blessed. It's not a magic bullet. It's not, a, it's not the be-all, end-all. It's just a tool, but, but I think it's a really effective tool that will help shape your relationship with Christ. So God's will, right? We would know him and make him known. How, how are you making him known in the world around you? How are you being a light in the darkness? Maybe even among those who would ridicule Jesus and his followers or rage against Jesus and his followers. Yeah. 
May we be people who respond when we see God at work. Not like the members of Jesus' hometown. May we respond like the disciples who left everything and we'll see more of their story next week as Chuck tells us about Jesus commissioning the twelve. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for this passage and the dangers that it exposes to us in the reality that we can be familiar with Christ and yet not know him. pray that we would be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We wouldn't harden our hearts against you, but that when, when we feel you moving, when we sense that you're at work, we would we'd pause what we're doing and join you in that. God, may May we live our lives in such a way that we would know you and make you known. Just as we've said here, that we would be disciples, be followers of Christ who make disciples. God, there's so many things in this life that can pull us off track. They can distract us. May, may we not lose focus of you. May we be shaped and molded by your word in such a way that we experience you day in and day out. Ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.